0: So this is episode two of the fast break podcast, uh Blaze Review, halftime hoops. Um, so bro, recapping these games from yesterday, man, day one NBA playoffs, Bucks Heat. What was your takeaway from that game?
1: That was the perfect start to the postseason. Like, we couldn't have asked for a better game. Um, I'm really impressed with the Bucks to start with. I want to talk about them since they did win the game. Even though Giannis didn't have a very good shooting game, Bam Adebayo did a very good job defending him. His impact was still there, and he never really looked like he was out of it. Like, I think when they played Miami last year, they looked defeated really after game one, and they didn't show any more fight really the rest of that series. So I'm impressed with just the mental toughness that they showed in that game. And it was just, you know, a very good defensive contest. That's like the definition of playoff basketball. Uh, Chris Middleton obviously hitting the game-winning shot, big-time shot by him. I love what Drew Holiday was providing on both ends. Very good win for the Bucks to start this postseason. As for Miami, I don't expect Jimmy Butler to play that poor in the rest of the series, but he really has to step up his play. Um, shout out to Duncan Robinson, Gordon Dragic for really keeping those guys in the game. Because if they weren't shooting the ball so well, that they would have got blown out. So those guys really brought it, but Jimmy Butler and Bam really have to step up because they didn't look like the, their usual selves yesterday.
0: Yeah, they really didn't. And it's funny, I'm actually I was I was impressed with the Bucs too, but the two things I kind of highlighted and I think they were very good talking points there. Uh, the free throws for the Bucks and the three point shooting. So they were 20 to 32, 62 percent from the free throw line. Seven of those 12 misses were from Giannis. So talk about how he's going to have to, you know, step up and start hitting his free throws in these big moments. Because, I mean, if you're making your free throws, you don't even go to overtime with these guys. And then shooting 16 percent from three, five to 31. I mean, that's not something I think they're going to do every every single night.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. Um, they showed a stat during the game. I don't know if you saw, but Giannis is like the third worst free throw percentage shooter in playoff history for yeah. somebody that scores 20 plus points a game. Um, Yeah. He's, he has to be better because he's going to get those calls. He's going to get to the line, like probably at least eight times a game. He's got to make the most of those opportunities. Like you said, if he makes his free throws, that game's not even in overtime. They win that game pretty comfortably. And like, as for the five for 31, I don't expect him to shoot that bad the rest of the series. That's, uh, utterly terrible honestly um you got to give a shout out to miami though for really making it tough for them to make those threes and miami shot i think 40 percent from deep they hit 20 threes. so yeah. that's it's crazy that they end up losing that game if you just look at that stat you know 15 plus more made threes you would expect miami to win that game pretty handily so very crazy game but impressive one for the bucks to still be able to win this game
0: yeah, and I totally agree with you know your points, too, talking about Jimmy and Bam. I actually have their stat lines written down. But it's almost like you can't expect them to have off nights like that. You're not going to expect the Bucks to have off days like they did yesterday. So I'm kind of curious to see. And I think this game was interesting because I feel like it really set the tone. And I think a lot of these games between these guys are going to be really close. I don't think any are going to be yeah. blowouts.
1: Yeah, let me ask you this because it's just game one. I know it's yeah. just game one, but do you think – the Miami Heat not being in the bubble is really going to affect them because Tyler Hero did not play well yesterday. I mean, really outside of Duncan Robinson and Gordon Dragic, nobody on the offensive side played well at all. So do you think maybe being outside of the bubble is going to be a big adjustment for them in the postseason?
0: I feel like it kind of is, man, because realistically, when you look at it, I mean, the home court advantage thing, bro, it's a real thing. I think a lot of people don't think about And when you're in that neutral site, like we saw last year at the bubble, I mean, anybody, I mean, anybody and everybody was getting hot last year. Um, So, you know, Miami, because they play the winner of who after the series is the winner of uh,
1: Brooklyn and Boston. So Brooklyn. Brooklyn,
0: Yeah. So, I mean, realistically, not having home court advantage through any point in this, in the playoffs, I think it's really a real thing. So I kind of think the bubble was very beneficial for them. And I think they were kind of that Cinderella team that just got hot last year. But, yeah, I, I do I do think being not being in the bubble is definitely a difference maker for them.
1: I still think this series goes seven. Like, when I made my prediction video on my YouTube channel, I really didn't know. Like, I said Bucks in seven, but I wasn't really that confident. And I'm still not that confident because it's a long series. This is going to be probably the longest series and it's really a toss-up. I'm still not sure who's going to win this series. But game one is a good sign for Milwaukee that they can still win a game without playing their best basketball.
0: It'd be interesting to see, too, if the next game they do play, if Miami could snag a road when I think that'd be, you know, very beneficial for them, too, because I think I have Bucks in six. So, I mean, if they can get a home win, I mean, you don't know when you go back to Miami for those next two games. I mean, that's a tough place to play, too, as well. I think it's very underrated we talk about – um home court advantage for a lot of teams in the NBA. Miami is a tough place to play, too. So uh, this game, too, I think is going to be probably – it's going to be a very big one for for both teams, I think.
1: Yeah, Miami South Beach, it gets active down there. You already know <laughs> yeah. they're starting to take masks off and stuff. So they it might get bad if, you know, players aren't locked in. So it'll be yeah. definitely interesting to see if Miami can that game, too.
0: And last point, I do want to ask you about this game because um, Drew Holiday, man, he's somebody I'm very interested in looking at a stat line, 20 points, three steals, 11 rebounds, three assists. So, I mean, he's contributing at both ends of the floor. Do you think – I think we've talked about this before – do you think he'll be the guy on their team that can get them to, you know, a conference championship? Like, will he be a difference maker, you know, say when they do play like the Brooklyn Nets in the next round, if that's who we get?
1: Yeah, I'm going to note him and also P.J. Tucker for this yeah. reason. They bring a different level of toughness to this team that was lacking last year. No disrespect to Eric Bledsoe at all, but – Eric Bledsoe is not the player that Drew Holiday is. Um, Drew Holiday is a, even a better defender. Eric Bledsoe is a good defender, but Drew Holiday is an exceptional defender, and also offensively, he can create. And we have seen in that third quarter, he really kept his Bucks team rolling. You know, I think he had 11 points in the third quarter, really picked up their offense. So I just think Drew Holiday has that that winning. He just brings a different sense of winning, a different sense of toughness. So I do think if there is going to be a difference maker on this team making a deep playoff run, it'll be mainly because of the addition of Drew Holiday.
0: Yeah, because I was even looking back, too, in the last playoff series the Pelicans won with Drew Holiday. He made it tough for Dame when they played Portland a couple years ago. So, I mean, Drew Holiday, I think he's a very underrated piece to have on your team. But I think he's a good piece to have, you know, during this time of year. So, yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. But um, if we do flip to the next game, Mavs, Clippers, what were some of your takeaways from that? I'm curious. This is a very interesting game.
1: Luca is not scared of the Clippers, bro. Like, I just think he's not scared of anybody, but he definitely ain't scared of the Clippers. But I don't like – I'm almost hoping Tyronn Lue was playing, like, just a filling-out process in this game. Because yeah. I don't like putting the smaller defender in Pat Bev. They put Pat Bev on him. They put Rondo on him. I don't like that, man. Luca knows how to use his body, even against players the same size as him. I don't like doing that. And then Luka, he just got into a rhythm – And he, I think he hit like five or six threes. I mean, Luca is not like a great percentage three-point shooter, but if he gets rolling like that, it's going to be a very long day for you, you know, defending him. And he was just – he was dicing up the pick and roll. Zubac, it was hard to see him in the game because they were dicing up the pick and roll with ease. So I'm interested to see what adjustments Teron Lu makes. But, I mean, the Clippers even, I mean, they shot probably one of their worst percentages of the season. Like Marcus Morris is top three in three-point percentage. He was 0 for 6. Paul George got off to a very slow start. Even Kawhi was, you know, timid at times. Reggie Jackson was just kind of out there running. I don't think the Clippers should be too worried, honestly. I think this game might be good for them to, you know, face a little bit of adversity, but there's a lot of pressure on them to pull out this game too.
0: Yeah, and it's funny, you know, you bring up the fact of Luca's three-point shooting. I kind of feel like Luca and Ja Morant are the same in the fact that when they're both hitting their threes, I think that is definitely a difference maker for their team because we saw Ja the other night against Golden State go five of 10. Like you said, Luca knocks down four or five threes yesterday. So um, if he can really get that three ball going and he can still create within their offense, I mean, he's obviously a great passer. That's why that's one of the reasons why I had to go with the Mavs in this series. I think it would go seven. But uh, like I said, Luca, man, he's just, I think he's really that dude. And of all the young players, I know there's a lot of hype around a lot of different ones. But I think if Luka could knock off the Mavs, not the Mavs, but the Clippers in the series, man, I mean, that'd be that'd be something I think we talk about for quite a while. Because, I mean, even this Clippers team, there's been so much hype around them. Um, and so, you know, blow a 3-1 lead last year and to now lose in the first round if that happens. I mean, what what are, what are you thinking on that?
1: I mean, there's probably no team with more pressure on on them than the L.A. Clippers. Um, but as, like just to get back to Luke, I got to speak about him because it's yeah. so tough to defend him because if you try and trap him on the pick and roll, like you said, he's such an excellent passer. He's going to find his open teammates. And Tim Hardaway Jr. has been shooting the lights out over the last month. Jalen Brunson has been playing very well. You know, these his supporting cast has been playing good. Porzingis wasn't really playing that good yesterday, but we expect him to be able to pick it up just a little more. Even guys like Josh Richardson, we expect him to be able to pick it up. The supporting cast for Dallas is really playing well. And if they're hitting their shots, this is a very tough team to beat. But then again, the Clippers, too, they play one of their worst games. You do got to give credit to the Mavs defense. But I expect L.A. to be able to pick it up in game two. And I expect, like, Paul George to really play better because no player probably has more pressure on him in this postseason than Paul George. We spoke about this. He has to step up. He has to play like an all-star level player.
0: And it's funny, too, because I'm actually looking at PG stats, 23 points, six rebounds, five assists. I mean, that's not a terrible game, but like, do you almost feel like because of how Paul George usually plays in the regular season, there's a stigma around him that, you know, he just can't get it done in these type of games. I mean, like I said, 23-6-5 and five is not terrible, but I mean, what, what more do you think Paul George has to do to kind of, you know, shake that?
1: It's not really the numbers. It's just more of like how you impact winning because he got off to the very slow start and then the team as a whole just didn't finish well. I mean, I think in the final five minutes, they went like two for 12 from the field. They just, I think they went 0 for 5 from deep. Like they just weren't playing good basketball down the stretch, which is the most important, critical time, especially in playoff games. So he just needs to really, you know, play great when it matters. His numbers can look good, but he has to be able to impact winning. And he probably is like one of the most, I would say like disliked players in the league. And some some of it he kind of does to himself by talking, but some of it is just like, memes and stuff I'm like I'm rooting for him I really hope he does play well in this postseason because he is a great player but he has to you know just get out of his own head sometimes and just you know play the game the way that he plays and I know he's capable of it he's shown us before plenty of times in the postseason but like we said he's the key to unlock this Clippers team he has to be great
0: absolutely and I'm wondering bro another key to the team playoff Rondo is that a real thing
1: oh yeah I mean you know you we saw it last postseason in the bubble with the Lakers Rondo just knew when to have his games like he knew when to have his big games. He always brings it on the defensive side, like down the stretch. He was making it tough for Luca. He was making it very tough for Luca down the stretch. So uh, applause to Rondo. But I think he will probably I think he needs to be on the court a lot more. Um, yeah. He wasn't on the court as much as I would have liked yesterday during critical times when Dallas was going on a run. I would like to see him get a little more, you know, run on the floor because the team is a lot better when he's on the court. And he's been hit. He hit a couple threes yesterday to really, you know, settle down the team. So i like to see Rondo get a lot more playing time.
0: I'm wondering also, do you think do you need more from Sergi Ibaka? I saw where his lim- his minutes yesterday were super limited. He had maybe like eight points. Do you think having him in there more makes a difference for the team, maybe like defensively?
1: Oh, most definitely. But I understand because he is kind of just coming off injury. Um, He didn't play a lot down the stretch of the season. So it's kind of trying to ease his way back into, you know, playing shape and playing form. But they definitely need him to be healthy if they have any aspirations of winning a championship this season, which is this is what this team is constructed for, is to be a title-containing team. So, you know, you have to be able to ease him back in, but he needs to, you know – they probably want to, you know, speed up the process a little bit because this is a series, like you said, they could easily lose this series. Luca is that good. Like, they could easily lose this series if they don't have all hands on deck and everybody isn't playing to the level that we expect them to play.
0: Absolutely. And the last thing I do kind of want to talk about for this series, who has the coaching edge, do you think?
1: I think uh, Ty Lue is a very underrated coach, but Rick Carlisle is – he's that dude, especially on the offensive side. Um it's going to be a real chess match, man. I, I think it's going to be like a lot of just small details like, you know, after timeout plays and all that stuff, Um, you know, small rotational adjustments, shortening your rotation or knowing when to sub this guy in, or it's going to be a lot of just small, small minor details that could really make a big swing in this series. It's a pretty, i say even coaching matchup. I think both of these coaches are exceptional. I don't think Ty Lue gets enough credit though.
0: Yeah, I think I kind of think Ty Lue and myself, I think he's very underrated. I mean, um, obviously what he did with the Cavs, and I think now what he's starting to do with the Clippers, um, I think you have to give him his flowers at some point in time. You can't have, you know, a bunch of knocks on him. So I'm, I'm right with you. I think he's definitely underrated. So um, I don't know if I asked you or not, but how many, how many games are you taking the Clippers to win this series, though?
1: Yeah, I think I said six, just like last year, because I just think Luke is that good.
0: Okay. Um, oh, yeah, he is. He is. And talking about another team, man, that's just a juggernaut, uh, Nets-Celtics, man. That game yesterday, I was able to watch the first half of it Uh, Boston got out to a pretty quick start, but it seems like it kind of fizzled out down the road. Uh, what was your takeaway for that game?
1: Um, really it was first half Celtics were shooting the lights out. They were shooting over 50% from three and Brooklyn just wasn't, they just weren't playing as well. They weren't shooting the ball as well. And then once the three point shooting stopped for the Celtics, you saw, you know, this, the talent level of the Brooklyn Nets team really start to show and they didn't even play their best game at all. Like. (laughs) Like KD did have 32, but he didn't shoot the ball as efficient as he usually does. Kyrie had a nice game, but he just it didn't seem like it was one of them Kyrie games where he just started to heat up and really take over on the offensive side. And James Harden was just playing the game that he's been playing all year, just, you know, getting everybody involved and picking the spots here and there. Um, The Celtics probably played the best defensive game that they were playing this series, and they still lost by 11 points. Um, Jason Tatum, Campbell Walker, they have to be better if the Celtics have any hope of trying to make this a competitive series. But as for the Nets, I think it's a good sign that their defense was able to really lock in in that second half, because I've been saying this all year, like this Nets team, they're not gonna be the exceptional top 10 defense that most championship teams are. They just have to be elite for like stretches in the game, like three minute stretches in the game, and really just know when to lock up defensively. And they were able to do that yesterday with their supporting cast only having 22 points outside of the big three, and they're still able to win this game.
0: And the funny thing is, is as a team, they only hit eight, eight threes. So I'm wondering on games where, you know, like you said, Kyrie starts to heat up, James Harden starts to heat up, Kevin Durant starts to heat up. So, like I said, so to, to have 82 combined points between three players, and I mean, you do hit eight as an eight threes as a team to me, that's scary. Like I don't, I mean, I think the best is yet to come with these guys. So I feel like yesterday was honestly just kind of a glimpse of what could happen the rest of the playoffs, but that kind of leads to my next question. Uh, Bucks Heat series, man. You know, if you get a winner of that, which defense do you trust more to at least try to slow down the Brooklyn Nets offense?
1: Um, it's I trust both defenses like equally, honestly. I think I mentioned in my video also, like I think there's three teams out East that really have the the makeup to really beat this Nets team, and those are two of the teams: the Miami Heat and the Milwaukee Bucks. I would probably say the Bucks maybe a little more because I think they have just a more sound team defensively, and they have a lot of toughness too. Not that Miami doesn't have toughness, but I think Miami has more liabilities like Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, Gordon Dragic. They have a few more liabilities on the defensive side. With Milwaukee, I think they have, their whole starting five is pretty good defensively. Their weakest link is probably Dante DiVincenzo, but he still defends pretty well. Honestly, he was doing a good job yesterday, you know, when he got switched on to Jimmy Butler and stuff. And having P.J. Tucker off the bench, um, I think they have the makeup to really make it tough for this next team. And Giannis is one of the best help defenders. And I forgot to mention this. I loved how Giannis yesterday took the task on Jimmy Butler because last yeah. postseason, he was acting kind of weird. Like, man, you're the defensive player of the year. Jimmy Butler's cooking, y'all, but you're not stepping up defensively. But this time around, he took Jimmy Butler really the entire game and, and pretty much the entire second half, too. I like seeing that, that mental toughness from Giannis and just stepping up to the plate defensively.
0: Absolutely. And one of the other factors of this game I'm curious about too between uh, Brooklyn and Boston was it's been a discussion all year, but James Harden out there with the second unit when Kyrie and Katie are on the bench. Do you like him out there more with the second unit to kind of keep things intact or do you like all three of them out there at once?
1: Um, you got to have somebody wrong with the second unit. Uh, we see a lot of teams do this, like um, the Portland Trailblazers, who I know we're going to talk about. They put CJ with the second unit. Like, they staggered their minutes. I do like this because James Harden is probably the best – not probably – he is the best playmaker out of the three, and he knows just how to run a team, even if the talent level around him on the floor isn't that good. So I do like having James Harden with that second unit. It's just pretty much back to Houston. Like, this is when he picks his spots. This is when he runs the show. So I do like how they stagger their minutes. Um. Yeah, Brooklyn, like you said, the fact that they did not play really good yesterday and still won is pretty scary.
0: It is definitely absolutely scary. And then if we do move out west of the last series that we watched last night, uh, the start of the series, Nuggets and Blazers, what were your takeaways from that? I was happy Carmelo came in and was hot as he was because I, I, Carmelo was my first favorite player ever for, so really? for him to come. Yeah. <laughs> so for him to come in, bro, and uh, just heat up the way he was. Uh, what was your takeaway from that game?
1: Yeah, let's talk about Melo real quick, man. Because <laughs> yeah. when he was in Denver, that was one of my—that was also one of my guys, man. I remember they had the silk jerseys with yeah. the cursive lettering. Yeah. Yep. But Nuggets fans, be better. Be better. Yeah. Why are you? Why are you booing, bro? Melo gave you, I think, like eight really great seasons. You made the playoffs every year. He yep. put out his heart and soul for that team. So be better. That's one of the all-time greats in your organization. One of the best. Be better. We're gonna start with that. It's good to see Melo hoping. But let's get to, you know, the game playing stuff. Um, Very interesting decision by Terry Stotts to let Jokic do what he wants to do.
0: I saw your tweet about that.
1: Yeah, but try to take away everybody else. That was a very, like, intriguing decision, but it kind of worked because Jokic didn't have the playmaking game that he usually does. I mean, I don't know what his assist numbers was, but I know in the first half I think he had zero. So that's a very interesting decision. And Dame just knows when to heat up at the right times. Like, in that third – Late third quarter, he just started to heat up, and that really put the separation in the game. And then Denver was trying to play catch-up. Michael Porter Jr. had a very good game, but he kind of shot his team out of the game late, just trying to catch the team up. This is going to be another long series, too, man. I think this is a seven-game series. I want to see what adjustments Michael Malone makes, not Mike Malone, Michael Malone. <laughs> I, want see what it, I want to see what adjustments he makes, because how you defend Dame is really the key to stopping this Blazers team. You can't just let him, you know, come – Come up off those pick and rolls in drop coverage. You can't allow that to happen. Cause if Dame gets those a couple walk-up threes, it's going to be a very long night defensively. And then you're going to have CJ have his games. Carmelo's going to have his games. Then you might get, you know, NS Cancer come off the bench having like 10 points in 10 minutes or something like that. Like you really have to find a way to really limit Dame and let everybody else try to work to beat you.
0: Yeah. And actually, bro, I will tell you the one thing I was very interested in with Portland was uh, obviously the play of Mela, but uh, Anthony, Anthony Simmons, is that how you say his name? Simons, yep. Simons, yeah. Dude, so, I mean, they, between the two of them, they combined for 32 points and basically 23 minutes. So, um, I'm kind of like you. I think just these other players that you don't really think too much about outside of Dame and CJ, I mean, I think if they all can heat up, I think that definitely gives Portland the edge because I, I had Portland in seven. I don't think this is going to be easy for them. But the other thing I was, you know, very interested in too was, the fact that Denver only shot eight free throws for the whole game. So I'm wondering, you know, without having a guy like a Jamal Murray who can get to the bucket, uh, create fouls, get more free throws, I'm wondering, do you think that's going to end up hurting them more down the stretch of these playoffs? I mean, they had 52 points in the paint, but it wasn't very physical. So, I mean, talk about the free throws and how big the role that's going to play for them.
1: It's forcing guys to be in uncomfortable positions like um, Marcus Howard. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's one of the best scorers in college basketball history. He's on a two-way contract playing 20 minutes in a playoff game, and he really just started being in a rotation like a few weeks ago. So it's forcing guys to really have to step up. Michael Porter Jr. is elevated to the second option. Missing Jamal Murray, that elite playoff guard, is that's a big time. This takes this team from – potentially a championship contending team, like a team that I thought could make the finals to a team that might get out, not might not get out the first round, which is pretty difficult. But I do believe in Jokic. That's why I picked Denver in seven. But it's going to be a tough, tough ride for them. I In this series, too, coaching adjustments is going to be very key. Um, but last night, like you said, with the free throws, I think not having Jamal Murray really does affect that. Because, you know, Jamal Murray knows how to run, you know, the show knows how to run the pick and roll, get to the basket. Guys are really just going to have to, you know, step up their games. Guys have to elevate. Monte Morris, Compazzo. Um, It would it would definitely help if Will Barton was healthy. Um, yeah. Forget he's out of the lineup. This team's dealing with a lot, but they still have a very good chance in this series because Jokic and Michael Porter Jr., they're just that good.
0: Yeah. Do you feel like Portland has a lot of bodies that they can throw at a guy like a Nikola Jokic? Because, I mean, realistically, I think with his passing ability and his size, he can definitely – you know, open more things up, but he can score. They can shoot the three ball, shoot inside. But I saw your tweet yesterday talking about, um, and cancer and Nurkic, like, you know, those guys on him. And I mean, realistically, I think Jokic can score wherever he wants on those guys, but kind of talk about adjustments on defense against a guy like Nicole Jokic for the Blazers.
1: Yeah, I've given uh, trailblazers coach Terry Stotts a lot of criticism this season, um, <laughs> and probably the last couple of years too. But I think. The decision to take away his playmaking was a very good one because now it's just really Jokic the one, is the one that's, you know, kind of heating up. And, you know, nobody else is really in the flow except for Michael Porter Jr., but everybody else is pretty much out of rhythm because Jokic wasn't able to hit them on time, on target with passes. So I do think, you know, Nurkic and Candor are definitely not the best, you know, one-on-one defenders. But just having them just play one-on-one, not bringing the double was a pretty good decision. But we got to see how Michael Malone adjusted that. So And also I want to mention about, like, Anthony Simons, who was kind of in and out of the rotation all year long, having a big game, that's a big, like, having a role player play well on the road in the seven-game series is very critical. Um, that was a very good game for him. Hopefully that gets his confidence up because a play, a young player that's been in and out of the rotation, that can kill their confidence. It's good to see him have a big game off the bench last night.
0: Absolutely, man. And the games yesterday, they were a lot of fun to watch. Uh, we're excited for the ones going on today. Uh, you have, what, Washington and uh, Washington-Philly. You got the Lakers and Suns. Uh, you have the oh the one I'm excited about actually is the Grizzlies and the uh, Grizzlies and the Jazz. I think that's going to be a really fun one to watch. Um, two young stars with John ja Morant, Devon, uh, Donovan Mitchell. I think that's going to be that's what that might be my favorite series I think to watch today. Honestly, I think it'll really set the tone um, because let's say we do get a John ja Morant versus Luka Doncic in the next round. I mean, I think that could be definitely a whole lot of fun to watch.
1: That'll be good for all the young players in the league, seeing two young stars go at it, give you a little more motivation. But I wanna get your thoughts on this because I I personally I'm not taking them in the series, but I'm taking them today. I'm taking the Memphis Grizzlies today.
0: I'm taking them in the series.
1: Oh, you're taking them in the series?
0: series. I said I think I said Memphis and seven, like it was six or seven, I think.
1: Yeah. That'll be crazy, but this I can't disrespect the Jazz because they got it. We forget. I heard somebody say this last night. We forget. They blew a three one last year too.
0: Oh yeah. They got yeah. a
1: chip on their shoulder, man, and everybody thinks they're one of the worst number one seeds in recent memory. So they have a big chip on their shoulder. Donovan Mitchell is a playoff performer. I, I expect him to have a really big series. Shout out to Dylan Brooks, but I think Donovan Mitchell's about to have a big time series. Him, Mike Conley, I think Rudy Gobert really has a chance to really control the interior in this series as well.
0: Yeah, and I feel like that whole... That whole part of the bracket is very interesting because, I mean, you have like your John ja Morant, your Luka Doncic, you have your Clippers and your Jazz. So I mean, I think whatever matchup we do get from that part of the bracket in the West in the next round, I think it's going to be fun to watch. I mean, even if you do get, you know, a John ja Morant versus the Clippers, uh, a Luka, or, I mean, just whoever I think is going to be fun to watch. But yeah, man, I, I got to go with Ja and, uh, and Luka. To, to be in the next round, but I think it's gonna go. It's gonna be a very fun one to watch, though. Like you said, yeah.
1: What do you think about the the whole playing situation? Did you like enjoy? It? You think it's good? Think it should stick around?
0: So it's funny actually. I remember a couple of years ago. I think it was the twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen AFC Championship in football, and it was the Patriots and the Chiefs. And everybody knows the rules of overtime, whatever. And because the chiefs lost, everybody was like all pissed off about it and mad. I'm like, you know, the rules going into it. I feel like for this play-in, is it new? Yes. But you know, the rules and how it worked going into it. So I saw a lot of people complain about it, but it was only people whose team lost. And so I'm kind of like, I mean, realistically, I mean, everybody played 72 games. I thought it was pretty balanced, pretty even. I thought it was fun. Um, if they did away with it, I wouldn't care too much because I'm so used to the 82. But honestly, I enjoyed it. I thought it made it very competitive for, you know, teams who are in the lower tiers uh headed into the playoffs. Because, I mean, you get teams who are in the 10-11 seed. And they just tank when you have 82 games. But if they're playing for something to get in the playoffs, I think it could be a good thing. I mean, you never know.
1: That was That's a great point because – um if it was last season or the year before the wizards were like had like a less than one percent chance to make the post postseason like a month ago yeah. so we probably would have seen them you know rest bradley bill uh rest russell westbrook and just you know tank it in pack it in on all that but instead they make the eight seed and stuff like that and then at the trade deadline we see a lot more teams buying in on themselves because all we gotta do is get the ten seed to give ourselves a chance you know yeah. that's really all it takes so i i think it should stick around um and like you said, everybody has the same opportunities now. Injuries, um, health and safety protocols are two different things. But I think, you know, keep it around because that Memphis and um, going to State game felt like a March Madness oh or a God. Game 7. Like, yeah. I was really invested in that game. Um, and Memphis, they deserved the win because the Warriors didn't play that good and they almost, you know, got away with it. But Memphis, they deserved that win. Shout out to John Moran for having a big-time game. He's just a big-time player in general. So I do like the play and I think it should stick around.
0: I'm like you, man. I had definitely had a March uh, Madness feel, the uh, Memphis and Golden State game. And the thing I was really interested in, too, man, before we hop off here, because I know we were texting about it. um, It's Steph Curry, bro. So I feel like if you're like I said, I think he was a top like six or seven MVP candidate for me. I thought three was super, super high. um, And to not be in the playoffs now, like that is that is honestly crazy to me. And I feel like you know, no matter what that situation you're in, you find a way to take the last shot. You don't pass it to yeah. Draymond Green, and Draymond Green did whatever the hell it was he did. And, I mean, realistically, Draymond had it at, like, the elbow, and I'm like, you really don't trust yourself enough to just shoot an elbow jumper right here? Like, no. I don't know what the hell that was he did.
1: This is, this is my this is my issue. Steph yeah. played phenomenal all year long. My issue is with Steve Kerr. Um, me and my dad, we were watching the game together, and before the play even happened, we're like, call timeout. What are you doing? Call timeout. Like I don't think he trusts his pen enough. I don't think he trusts his play calling enough to really drop a nice play. You can't put your best player in a high pick and roll with a non-offensive threat. That's you know not a threat to score the ball because yeah. they're just they do they did exactly what they did the entire fourth quarter. They trapped Steph Curry. Uh, you can't you can't do that and expect to get a shot for your best player. Like it ended up being a broken play and Draymond's in a very uncomfortable situation. My issues with Steve Kerr, I think he made some very poor decisions down the stretch. The decision not to foul late. Look, I understand, I would understand that there was maybe like a six or seven second difference. There was only a three second difference either way. So, you know, there you have to play the foul game. They weren't even in the bonus at the time either. So you have to foul eventually anyways. I think Steve Kerr really blew the game more than anything. Along with his team, not really, you know, taking care of the ball in the first half, which is how they ended up being in the big deficit. But I think Steve Kerr really blew that game. Um, A lot of people are probably going to focus on, like, the Draymond shot or Jordan Poole dribbling the ball off his leg. But Steve Kerr, I don't see anybody talking about it. I think he deserves a lot of blame for that loss.
0: The thing I've always thought is funny about Steve Kerr is, like, he walked into a really good situation, and you can't really tell at times if he's a good coach or not. It's almost like – Cause I feel like if you have a guy like Mark Jackson, who's your coach in that situation, that doesn't happen. Um, a guy who's actually, cause I mean, don't get me wrong. Steve Kerr was a, he was a great, great shooter, decent player, whatever. But I just feel like there's so many other people who would have made a better call. Cause like, I'm, I'm with you. I, I didn't, and I didn't think about Steve Kerr in that position, but when you think about it, yeah, there's been several times this year where I've kind of questioned some things about Steve Kerr. But I, I think if you're in that position with somebody else, Mm-hmm. I think you might have a different outcome with goal. I don't even think Golden State might be in the play-in in that situation.
1: Yeah, possibly. Um, I like I saw a lot of golden state fans on like Twitter and stuff. Like early on in the season, they were like, Man, Steve Kerr gotta go. I'm like, bro, y'all tripping. Like, like, well, he's brought y'all so much success. But now I see it like he really makes like just head scratching decisions, like his rotations were weird. Um, the decision not to call timeout, like you don't trust your play calling that that much. Great coaches like Greg Popovich, he's going to draw up a play and you're going to get a great shot. You yeah. know, even like Brad Stevens is one of the best um, at, at the ATOs after timeouts. He's one of the best at that. You know, guys like that, Eric Spolstra, um, Nick Nurse, those guys, they trust their pen. They trust to call up a great play. Yeah. In that situation, even against the Lakers, he drew up kind of a, a BS play to get Steph the ball. You can't put Anthony Davis in a down screen and expect to get a good shot. Right. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Steph, like, I don't know, just a very – I don't know. Steve Kerr deserves – a lot more criticism than what he's getting. I haven't seen anybody talking about it. So I think people need to, you know, start to maybe point the finger at Steve Kerr a little bit more and not so much this team dealing with injuries and stuff. Cause they have dealt with injuries, but you have a great player. Like Steph, I feel like you should be able to at least make the playoffs. I would say.
0: Yeah. I, I feel like, and that, and that's the thing, bro. Like Steph had a phenomenal season. Don't get me wrong, but I think, it just it just is so weird that a guy who's a top three MVP candidate is not in the playoffs. Like it just, it just seems really weird to me.
1: I got you. This is what you're trying to say. There's levels to carrying teams. Yeah. I don't know if we've discussed it, but there's the LeBron James tier. James Harden is like right below him. And then it's it's really everybody else. Like honestly, there's levels to carrying teams and a lot of guys just ain't built for it. Uh, they need pieces around them to really fit what they do and what they do best. So a lot of guys really can't just take you no know, four other guys and make the playoffs like LeBron James and James Harden have done pretty much every year of their career.
0: Yeah, and it's funny you actually talk about there being levels to it because it's almost like when we say things about a guy like you know curry it's it's not black it's not like trying to like discredit him or anything obviously like I said, phenomenal season but i'm like you there's different levels to carrying teams i just look at that sometimes and i look at the times he's been by himself over the last several years and kind of the things that have happened like without kd in 2017 2018 you know where where are you then 2019 he had to be by himself in the finals without kd kd's hurt you can't win it 2016 you're basically by yourself you don't win it 2015 the Cavs had injuries you win so I mean you know you took advantage of the opportunity in front of you but I do like you know this year you're by yourself so I just look at that in situations to where you do carry your team to elevate them to in those situations and for him when he's been by himself like I said phenomenal player because even in the 2019 finals he averaged like 31 points a game but it's almost like what good are those stats if you don't win anything
1: yeah, I think also we got to give a lot of more a lot more praise to Klay Thompson. Um, yeah, how important of a piece he is to what Steph Curry does. I mean, he takes a lot of the defensive assignments on the perimeter, and then he's he's like the ultimate robin to Steph Curry because you can't really double off of Steph when you have Klay Thompson on the court because right. he's gonna find the open spots, he's gonna find a way to get open, and he's one of the most dead eye shooters ever. So we gotta give Clay Thompson a lot of credit. I think the Warriors will be fine. They do have a lot of decisions to make in the offseason, though. Um, Steve Kerr would still probably have his job, but oh, yeah, what yeah. are they going? I think I don't think there's any way Wiggins is back.
0: No, nah, I don't think so either.
1: Like, dude, <laughs> my dad <laughs> when, we was, when we was watching the game, yeah. Um, <laughs> I was like, I was trying to give Wiggins a, Wiggins a little bit of credit, and my dad was like, "Man, Wiggins is one of those dudes. Like, you you say one good thing about him, then he'll mess up like three straight possessions. Yes. he really did, and then he did it. Like, he yeah. he missed a layup, and then he was like. I think he like shot he shot an air ball, like he was just doing some terrible stuff down the stretch, man. I, I don't think there's any way he's still on that roster next season.
0: And it's always funny to me because they will pop up these graphics of like Wiggins, they'll be like, oh, youngest player to ever score like this many points and this, this, this. And I'm sitting here like, you would never you would never guess that if you watch him play.
1: Bro, I this morning <laughs> I got on Facebook and an old ball is like video came up. It was like um highlights from the last 10 number one picks in the NBA draft in high school. And Wiggins popped up. I'm like, man, if he played with this fire in the league, he yeah. would be a really good player instead of just being, like, kind of mild. Like, he's a very mild player, man. Like, he he plays like somebody with no – I don't want to question his character, but he plays like he has no, like, heart sometimes. Yeah. That's how it looks. And he has so much – so many intangibles and stuff. But I seen this when he was in college. This is why I always said Jabari Parker is better than him when they were at that level. He just played like he didn't care sometimes. Yeah. No, he and really didn't. I wouldn't want that from my, you know, number one pick or somebody that I'm putting my franchise in the hands of. You know, you got to show me that you actually care about winning, and I'm still questioning that um, if he does care about winning.
0: Yeah, so we'll see next year too. When Golden State, if they, I mean, hell, they might bounce back next year and be a number two or number three seed when they're healthy. It'd be it'd be interesting to see how he kind of carries himself, like what his demeanor's like when I mean, if they are up higher in the rankings. I mean, yeah. I think it'll definitely be interesting to see kind of what Golden State does next year. So.
1: Yeah, he shows steps this year that he's getting better. Um, but well, I just need to see him more consistently. But they are in the if that pick from Minnesota falls out of the top three, it's theirs, and then they're gonna have their own lottery pick. So yep. they're in a little decent position. This is a very good draft coming up. Uh, we're gonna have a lot to talk about that draft. So I think they're in a decent position to at least make something happen for sure.
0: Absolutely, and I think on the next episode of the Fast Break, we'll have some pretty good stuff to talk about. Some pretty good games from today to recap. So. So this will wrap up episode two of the fast break podcast blaze review halftime hoops coming to you guys. Uh, Too hard is working dudes probably at this right now. I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm hey. doing this with the man that never sleeps. I see, I see the work. So, <laughs> so yes. Hey man,
1: we, we definitely been working lately. just more great things to come on the way for sure.
0: Yes, sir. Absolutely. Well, all right, everybody. Uh, like I said, episode two of the fast break and we'll see you guys next time.